0: So welcome back to the studio, where, as a treat for Christmas, I'm able to share some interviews I conducted last month while in New York. So I was visiting in order to conduct some on-the-ground research of new and noteworthy store experiences, all in preparation for our store tour in January. We'll be at the NRF Big Show on January 12th to 14th, and this is the National Retail Federation's annual retail event. It draws about 35,000 retailers to New York's Javits Centre for a pretty intense couple of days. Now, I asked on LinkedIn a month or so ago for recommendations of stores to visit, and I must say it was such a generous response Uh, We received over 100 contributions totalling some 150 stores uh, and I visited 102 of those suggestions. Now as I recover I will be writing up the results of the visits to share in February Uh, but for now and I think in the spirit of a Christmas gift uh, I'm going to share a couple of the interviews I grabbed during my visit there. So we have three very interesting and different guests today. Uh, We've talked a lot uh, this year about the evolution in department store, we've talked about brands going direct to consumer, and the new trends in beauty, especially as it relates to a new acronym for me, the DNVBs or digitally native vertical brands. So let's start with beauty. Uh, I visited Savannah Sachs, the CEO of Tula Beauty. Tula is a brand that's not only a leader in clean beauty, but in treating the whole skin biome. Look, I'll let Savannah explain. As we join her in their lovely offices, high above the traffic in New York, although not quite high enough to avoid the occasional New York horn blasts. I'm in the very lovely offices of Tula with Savannah, who's the CEO. So in case people didn't see you on the cover of Internet Retailing Magazine some years ago, just give us an update. Uh, Who are you and what is Tula?
1: Yes, definitely. So thank you for having me. I'm Savannah. Um, I think we first spoke when I was running the UK market at Birchbox, which was a really amazing adventure and learned a lot. And uh, now I'm at Tula Skincare, so we're clean and effective skincare powered by probiotics and superfoods. And I can tell you a little bit more about the brand, um, but for some context, we're uh, majority direct-to-consumer on Tula.com, and we also have some great retail partners, which mm. I'm sure we'll dig in on in a bit.
0: Great, look, so many key words you said there. And, uh, <laughs> I feel healthy just hearing those words. Yes. So let's dig into that, because when, when we first met you, you mentioned box which was a sort of format busting pioneer that took the idea of samples and really just changed the way that the direct to consumer uh, beauty uh, business could work, which people are now copying and so on. So that's kind of, not old hat, but we've understood that now. What seems to have changed uh, in beauty from an outsider's perspective is this new focus on ingredients, so not just good ingredients, not just non-animal, but, you know, this progression towards clean and nothing at all added. So just tell me, is is this something that you woke up and thought, I'm on a mission for clean, or was it, I'm on a mission for digital, and this is what we need? Where, where did the, the concept come from?
1: Definitely. So... One of our founders is Dr. Rashini Raj, and she's a practicing gastroenterologist, which is quite unique for skincare. She's also an all-around incredibly impressive woman. She's a wellness media expert, a mom of two, an entrepreneur, and she also looks like she's in her 20s, so she's onto something. And she studied probiotics for her entire career, for over 15 years, and saw the power of probiotics firsthand with her patients where they would come in with gut issues, she would put them on a probiotic, and not only was their internal health rebalanced, but their skin was glowing and their acne was clearing up. And it was right around the same time as increasing research around the skin microbiome and the power of probiotics applied topically. So that was the light bulb moment where she saw this breakthrough innovation in skincare. And what we've done at TULA is think about how do you take the science of probiotics and create a relatable, um, desirable brand for the modern consumer. And so the way we've done that is being digital first and social first in everything that we do. 75% of our customers find out about Tula on social or through influencers. So influencers is an incredible growth engine. And that's why not only because of the brand and what we stand for and really Playing in that intersection of beauty and wellness, do we attract a younger customer? Our average age is 32. Um, but also because 20. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but also because we have digital and social in, in our bones and in our DNA, and that's where the direct-to-consumer side comes into play. And to your point on clean, you know, we're thrilled to be part of the clean movement. We believe it's a fundamental shift where customers want clean, safe ingredients, but they're not willing to sacrifice efficacy or results. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about natural anymore, it's about clean. And for us, we're clean and effective. And that's where probiotics come in because it's a natural ingredient that's truly powerful and delivers results. And I would say that the the biggest challenge in clean is really that there's no standard definition. Mm And so for us, what's important is transparency to the customer and being very clear about what's in and what's out and empowering them to make the right choice for their routine. So for example, we, if you go onto Tula.com, have a very simple filter where you can check off boxes to see what's in and out of the products. And it's straightforward, but most brands don't have that. And so it really comes back to transparency.
0: And it's interesting you say that because uh, I was looking at the site, mm-hmm. and it, you know it, it's it's tempting for people my age to be quite dismissive of the cosmetics industry because everything's a pro lipid peptide, mm-hmm. diner bubble, this or that. And of course we've seen sort of challenges with microplastics and filler ingredients as well. I was interested that not only did you have very natural ingredients, but you said why they were there and how they were used. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the transparency seems to be baked into the way you communicate your product and with the customers.
1: Definitely, that's at the core of what we do. And I think that, I mentioned the sort of evolution from natural to clean, you know, the cheeky example we use is that poison ivy is natural. You don't want to put that on your face. (laughs) And there's incredibly safe and also efficacious synthetic ingredients. And so for us, we talk about safety, not source. Mm -hmm. And we turn to clinical research and studies and and, um, decide what should be in and out of the product. And for us, it's not enough to define a brand in terms of what's not in it. You really need to speak to what is in it that's delivering the customer what they want. it's not the
0: absence of, it's not free anymore. That's not enough to build
1: a brand, right? And so for us, that's why we come back to probiotics and superfoods as the core of our ingredient
0: story. And again, it's interesting with that parallel discussion about the gut biome and, Mm -hmm. you know, wellness from inside as well as the growing recognition of the skin as, as an organ and a complex one as well. Exactly. Rather than just cling film for organs.
1: And that's what's exciting is that we're at this intersection of beauty and wellness. So we have topical probiotics in our skincare range, and we also have an ingestible. So a daily probiotic supplement, a pill that you take every day. Um, and that's really playing into beauty inside out. Mm. Um, so we're excited to continue to explore in that area as well. Stay tuned for an exciting launch Q one okay. of next year in the ingestible space. Um, because for us, we really want to be part of wellness with credibility, mm. you know, with Dr. Raj, at the forefront, we were very careful about how we think about ingestibles and we really want to deliver results. So we've taken our time there, but we're excited for a new launch.
0: So we've we've mentioned uh, transparency and we've also spoken about digital first and influencers. Yes. Quite a troubled area in many ways with, you know, how should sponsorship be disclosed? Are they trustworthy? Are they themselves experts? You know, it's a minefield, especially once you get out of the controlled environment of your own messaging. So how do you work with uh, influencers and digital marketing to maintain the integrity as well as the transparency?
1: Very important question. We are very serious about influencer marketing. So it drives 50% of our revenue on Tula.com, and that's directly attributed through codes. What's more impressive is that we run it like a performance marketing channel, and it's more efficient, in terms of ROAS, return on ad spend, Mm -hmm. than our paid channels on Facebook, Instagram, and search. So it's incredibly powerful and efficient growth engine for us. And we do it a bit differently. So we run it entirely in-house, since Mm -hmm. it's such a core capability. And we run it like a hybrid affiliate model. So the influencers get a commission. Um, It's really social selling at the core of it. Yes, And so so incentives are aligned. Exactly, exactly. And um, we also, of course, focus on micro and macro influencers. Um, That's where we really see the sweet spot in terms of performance. So typically 100,000 to 500,000 followers, um, with Instagram being the key channel. And then YouTube and blogs is secondary. And we also actually focus beyond beauty. You know, beauty is a very crowded space. And so when you're thinking about how to get the economics to work, we find the most success with lifestyle, fitness, mommy bloggers, not only because it's a little bit less crowded, but because they can tell the broader brand story about Tula, Mm. you know, at the end of the day, we're about inspiring confidence by making it easier to achieve a healthy balance inside and out. And we feel they're the best brand ambassadors because they can speak holistically about their own life and how Tula fits into it.
0: So in terms of the fit then, it sounds like this is more a holistic approach around activity, wellness, rather than another shelf in the crowded beauty section of a department store
1: yes exactly exactly and I think you know I'm sure we'll touch on retail in a moment um, but we're proud to be an anchor brand in Ulta's wellness category Mm. Um, and so we really see an opportunity to broaden the conversation
0: well let's let's go to retail via the digital first label yes because I think there are two types of digital first There, there are people who've you know, use the speed, agility, and the capability of digital to establish themselves. And there are people who are running a blog who haven't yet become retailers. Mm -hmm. So what does digital first mean to to you and how the brand was launched but now will grow?
1: Definitely. So we really see digital first and social first um, being a core part of how we've built our brand. And I'd say also our culture. You know, I think for us, we move incredibly fast. Um, we react quickly to customer insights and trends and needs. And that customer first and customer back mentality really, and having so much data from our customer Mm. is really the powerful side of being digital first. So for example, we have a digital skin quiz where you can go onto Tula.com and um, self-diagnose your skin type and tell us about your concerns and needs And we recommend you then the right tool routine. Mm. We also get over 300,000 data points every month from that skin quiz. And we're using that to inform everything that we do. Um, Our product roadmap and what we're launching any given year to our marketing message and how we can really speak to the customer in a way that resonates. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an example of when you have a sizable D2C business, when you're digital first, you're that much closer to the customer and that can infuse everything that you do. Um, Having said that though, just as I said back at Birchbox, it's still pretty much the case where close to 90% of beauty is sold offline. And so we knew from day one, we wanted to be an omnichannel brand. We've done that maybe differently than the way you hear from other D2C brands that are opening their own stores and focusing, whether it's experiential pop-ups or more permanent locations, um, their own brick and mortar locations. We believe that in beauty, the customer wants to shop Mm multi-brand. She wants to walk into a store and pick up her favorite face wash, try a new mascara, and maybe grab some dry shampoo on the way out. And so for us, we want to be where the customer is and yes. make it easy and convenient for him or her. And so for us, because of that customer shopping behavior and also because within the crazy retail landscape, specialty beauty is still incredibly strong. You know, yes. There's really great players there, mm-hmm. um, especially in the U.S. And so we decided to go with Ulta. And we're in all 1,100 of their doors. Wow. We also are with Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus, as well as um, online with QVC and Dermstore. The way we think about it is be where the customer is. You know, she's shopping multi-brand. And actually, I mentioned the data we get. We see that actually 32% of our customers are in major cities, so the majority are outside major cities, and that's why Ulta and their footprint across the country with mm-hmm. over eleven hundred doors uh, felt like the, the right fit.
0: But that's quite a, a jump though. So you know, one of the challenges of being a direct-to-consumer business going to retail is, you know, one day you've got a thousand products, you can give it to a thousand customers. When you've got a thousand doors, all of a sudden you need a million products just to fill those stores. So that transition from Digital first or only to a wholesale running a large estate is a major capital staffing relationship challenge.
1: Definitely, it was exciting. Yes, yes. No, no. You're spot on. I think for us, um, we saw retail as a way to drive top line revenue, but also to drive brand awareness. You know, being in 1,100 Ulta doors in the top shelf of their wellness section, is sort of like 1,100 out-of-home advertising moments. And so we saw it as a big opportunity. To your point, it's a big undertaking. And it's incredibly different from the digital e-com world. So um, there are inventory considerations, of course. It's a whole different uh, level of operational complexity, and it's a different Team and skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from the digital e commerce world, and so I've had a very steep learning curve in retail. And I'm lucky to have a rock star VP of sales that literally lives in Ulta's backyard, and she's done this many times before, most recently at Dry Bar. And I've been learning so much from her. And what we did was really lean in, and people say it's easy to get on shelf. It's hard to stay there. And so we've been focused on driving sell point. through. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the results speak for themselves in the sense that we launched with Ulta in the middle of last year with just five products on shelf, and we've already tripled our SKU count. So we're up wow. to 15 products, and our sales ranking is is jumping by the day, which is really exciting. I think for me, the most interesting element is. When you have the majority of your business direct-to-consumer and yet a sizable and fast-growing retail component, how do you think about growth investment across those two channels? Mm. Because the P&Ls are entirely different. It's comparing apples to oranges. And the time cycles. So the ability
0: to change one, you know, you live with your decisions a little bit longer. Definitely. Or when you've got 1,100
1: things to
0: deal with. And
1: that's quite interesting because, you know, for example, we've had new product launches as a key part of our growth strategy. And this year we've launched 10 products. And we can get a product to market in six, seven, eight months for our Tula.com business, but you have to hit those retrofit dates in retail. And so to your point, there's just longer lead time and more planning. Mm -hmm. We see that working well though in that we can have a launch on Tula.com, see how well it does, and then roll out to retail. And it also helps with some exclusivity on Tula.com and our D2C business. So we're really prioritizing owning that customer relationship directly.
0: And how then do the channels work together? So the other day I was speaking to a a very offline brand uh, that is growing their global D2C, but from a wholesale heritage. So if you like, they're the inverse of you because they have those relationships and store understanding, and now they're learning the digital. But one of the challenges they've had is getting the stores and the data there to work with communicate with the customer. So if you're a great online customer, but maybe the range in the local store isn't great, how do you balance that messaging, go to store but also buy online, and maybe giving back to your retail partners as well? How, how does that blend mix work? Yeah.
1: I think the biggest challenge and would love to speak with anyone that's figured this out is connecting the customer across all channels and touch points when you're working through other retailers Mm. in a wholesale model. I think the biggest challenge alongside that is attribution. You know, it's very difficult to weave in retail um, to your multi-touch attribution model. So I certainly can't say that we figured that out. I think for us in terms of where we are In our growth uh, trajectory, And for some context here, Tula.com grew 184% last year, so close to tripled. And this year we're on track for above 150%, so more than doubling again, which is incredible. (laughs) Um, So right now everything is incremental. You know, we have so much opportunity for growth. We're we're working off a sizable base, um, but we're not yet too, too concerned about channel conflict. Mm. Um, We really see it as holistically growing the brand. And as I said earlier, it's not only about top line, revenue in retail, but creating that brand awareness mm-hmm. and meeting a customer that maybe is going to be really hard to find through influencers or through a Facebook ad. So I think we we certainly have challenges in terms of connecting the dots for the customer journey. And also attribution, um, but we see that as well worth it for the for the yes. opportunity to continue to drive growth. Look, I think
0: your point there about because it's all growth and addition at the moment is just a great situation to be in, yes. rather than people literally managing every nickel and dime of margin. It may be more mature, saturated markets. Now we're talking about growth. Uh, always lovely to hear that. Um, where are you going next? I mean, obviously. Uh, Not so much detail, but the the trajectory now of clean is probably set for a while, but everyone's going to copy it from the big players, uh, you know, to more startups. So where do you see the business growing over the coming few years? And what's your focus on that?
1: Definitely. So... It feels like we've really hit this unbelievable inflection point, and I'm very excited for the next 12 months. Um, We're focusing on the U.S. We're really happy with our distribution channels and footprint, Mm. and it's just about getting more folks to to hear about Tula. And so the key ways we've been doing that, um, I touched on Innovation and new product launches. Mm-hmm. That's been an incredible growth driver. Um, so, for example, this year we launched a Glow and Get It cooling and brightening eye bomb, which um, <laughs> we launched in January. We bought what we thought was four months worth of inventory. We sold out in 10 days. Wow. We restocked in March so with nice twice as much inventory. Nice exactly. Good problems <laughs> to have. We restocked in March with twice as much inventory. We'll settle out in seven. So we racked up a wait list of over 25,000 people for our third restock.
2: Wow. Um,
1: and what was even more incredible was that 68% of customers that bought that product were new to Tula. Okay. So an unbelievable customer acquisition engine. Mm. So. If you follow along, you'll see lots more exciting project, um, product launches in the next 12 months. And as I mentioned, not only playing in the clean skincare space, but diving deeper into wellness and ingestibles, which will be very exciting.
0: And is that something you think you'll be doing under your brand, or as uh, everyone sees you're doing now, the Colabs mm. or you know, Tula X, or someone else? Um, how, how do you see that landscape working?
1: Definitely. So, you know, what's exciting about Tula is that it's a brand that stands for both skincare and wellness. Um, So we'll be launching that new ingestible in Q1 under the Tula brand. Um, stay tuned for collaborations down the road. Um, you know, I think with our strong influencer capability and relationships, clearly there's some opportunity there. I can't say much more beyond that, but I think it's an exciting time about, you know, how do you build a differentiated brand and where are all the ways and paths that you can do, um, take on that journey.
0: Great. Well, look, Samantha, thanks so much for sharing those thoughts with us. I love that, you, know, you said inflection point, I'm seeing a change mm-hmm. uh, and the growth clean on the one hand, but also more purposeful yes. connections with customers. So exactly. It's an very exciting uh, time, I think, for brands with purpose and vision. Fantastic to hear the story. And hopefully we'll catch up with you next year and uh, understand a bit more about the new launches once they're public. Can't wait. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. So many interesting concepts coming from this discussion. The evolution of beauty and the roots to market, it really was very inspiring. So I packed up and headed down to Soho to meet with the CEO and co-founder of Showfields. Uh, I'm a bit at a loss how to describe this place. It's a renovated five-floor warehouse in a trendy part of town. Uh, if a department store and an art gallery had a child with a pop-up and an experience company, perhaps we'd come somewhere close. It's such a cliché, I know, to talk about reinvented retail, but for once this actually feels like a sufficiently new approach that's coherent and a great consumer experience that, you know, maybe that word is justified for once. Let's join Amir in their lounge and, of course, since it's New York, we'll never be far from the bustle of retail, of lifts pinging and the drone of machinery.
2: My name is Amir Swickel. I'm one of the founders of Showfields. Um, I lead all the real estate part of this venture, including construction and um, expansion strategy, et cetera. So
0: Great, so we're on the fourth floor mm-hmm. of a remarkable building. So uh, how would you describe Showfields as
2: someone who hasn't seen it yet? So, Showfields is for online brands, for digital first brands, we are a platform that allows them to open their own physical store very, very easily and seamlessly. For the consumer entering the door, we're a space where they can get inspired, uh, be exposed to art, content, and the brands of the future.
0: When I walk in, it's a very highly curated space. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like a random Yeah. so how do you pick the
2: brands who are going to be part of the experience? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we're not very much vertical-focused, but we look for brands that have the same DNA, that share the same DNA. Meaning they all have to be mission-driven, consumer-centric, design-oriented, and basically they're all after the same consumer, which is also what makes them empower each other when in this setting, the same person who buys uh, the quick toothbrush is the person who will shop mystery dog and each and every deodorant, so.
0: So these are like the gold dust of consumers. So mm-hmm. you, you can imagine a start business plan. They're mm-hmm. saying, we're going to target, you know, this uh, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen yep. Z person with disposable income, and yet you're aggregating them all into a physical space. Now, we were talking earlier on as we looked around. Uh, what is the difference, if I'm a brand, Why would I come here rather than setting up my own pop-up shop or um, setting up my own
2: physical retail? So physical retail is very much um, inaccessible for most of the brands in the world. Uh, The barriers to physical retail have never been so high. It's not only about finding the right space, it's about negotiating the list with the landlord and signing on the long-term commitment, which is something that most of the brands in the world do not even contemplate. It's about designing the space and renovating it and hiring the staffing and having the technology to help you capture whatever's going on there and generating the traffic. So all these barriers prevent for most of the brands in the world from being able to even consider palm location physical retail. Going to open your own pop-up is something that costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars to do today. So it's not even like the same level of you know affordability for okay. these brands. Mm-hmm. And the reason they come here is because like we're able to tell their story and create an experience around it in a very immersive, cohesive way, but also in a very elegant and elevated way that will make these brands feel comfortable being here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do it for a flat fee that varies, let's say between five to 20 grand a month.
0: Right, so irrespective of their
2: turnover, it's a flat fee. Exactly.
0: Which is refreshing to hear.
2: Yeah, it's a flat fee. We don't touch their sales and... Actually, there's a lot of thought process that led us to the conclusion that we shouldn't touch their sales. We decided to put the consumer entering the door in front. So what we're optimizing for is engagement with consumers, and that's what we're optimizing for, not sales. We feel that part of the reason for which when you enter a department store here on 5th Ave or when you enter a department store in Hong Kong or a shopping mall in Tel Aviv, you find the same brands is because everyone are optimizing for sales. and the, are not getting exposed to new brands uh, as they should have because they're optimizing also only for sales. And also considering that some of these brands that are joining showfields are not here for sales. They're here for different types of ROI that they can see here. And thinking about ROI uh, in general, that's one of the core of the changes. That's maybe the core of the change that the retail industry is going through because online. Companies can benefit from many different levels of engagement Mm -hmm. with consumer, uh, not necessarily sales of tangible goods. And in the physical world, until very recently, the only ROI existed was sales, zero or one. And that's changing. Once technology allows us to capture other levels of engagement in the physical world as well, brands can justify the cost of creating a physical touchpoint, not only by sales. Mm -hmm. Usually, it's a combination of a few different ROIs that we see here. Now... Uh, I think that's fascinating, the optimising of the customer. Uh, When I walked
0: in, Mm -hmm. the level of friendliness and staff knowledge and staff Mm -hmm. service was very high, even for New York. So um, tell me a bit about the staff you're hiring Mm -hmm. here. Do you run all of the staff or just the front of house staff? So it's a very
2: good question because we found out that one of the biggest barriers to entry to physical retail is staffing. We didn't know that. Uh, So, we're providing a seamless solution that uh, allows brands to choose out of two options. First option is to be part of the shared staffing experience by Showfields, and we have a brand host for every two or three brands. And then whenever a customer entering one of these brand spaces and is engaging with the product, they'll come, they offer more information, and each one of them has a point of sale on him. Another option for brands is to have a dedicated staff member, which would cost them much less to pay us uh, than it would have cost them if they would have taken care of it by themselves. Mm-hmm. The entire staff, all the brand hosts, uh, we define them as awesome, ordinary people. None of them is a salesperson by profession. All of them are <laughs> storytellers, uh, doing other creative things with their lives, either like actors or artists, etc. They're all trained across the board very, very well of each one of these brands. And they're all shareholders in show so, fantastic. Yeah. I love that, awesome ordinary people.
0: Uh, I'm going to have to pretend I thought of that. Uh, now, we can hear uh, in the background people yep. having fun. So, as I said, we're on the fourth floor. We're in between mm-hmm. a lovely entertaining space, a yep. uh, very loft style, and a fantastic outdoor garden area. Mm-hmm. So. What is this fourth floor for? How does that fit into experience? So the fourth floor
2: um, is very different than any other floor of this building uh, because it's not specifically utilized for brands. It is utilized for for brands, but indirectly, meaning that part of the value proposition when joining Showfields for these brands is the ability to host events here. That's part of their needs, but there is no reason not to share this space. Not every brand has to own this space, but they can share it and they can use it for any type of event that they, they like. If they want to launch a new product, if they want to host a dinner for influencers, if they want to host a workshop or a panel around like a subject that like empowers their brand, that's where they can do that. This is also the space where, like, we host community events that we organize and we initiate as part of Showfields and like the friends of Showfields. We have like around forty thousand people who are already friends of Showfields and are getting notified of these events. It's also being published in our website, and we have like an event here almost every day. Fantastic! So, yeah, really cool stuff.
0: So you know, people often talk about customer engagement and mm-hmm. bring your together, but this is physical as well as digital I mean it it is uh, it's great I'll take some photos to share with uh, our listener later now look for me this seems like a rebirth of some old ideas so in the department store the Emporium Mm -hmm. the um, the boutique with that strong curation plus Mm -hmm. digital so there are loads of things coming together with a fantastic twist Mm -hmm. great atmosphere in the store so you've made this statement what comes next because everyone's com- to be copying this now, so what are you going to do next to
2: uh, to change again? So you know, like we're used to think that from the one end we have this like traditional retail industry, and from the other end, which is like a two trillion dollar industry still growing, and then we had a much smaller six hundred. Billion dollar industry of e commerce, which is obviously growing much faster. And the discussion, like during the last few years, was who's going to win this race? And today, um, everyone understands that one cannot live without the other. And everything in between, we call it C commerce, consumer commerce, (laughs) that is like defined by like five C's. So, uh, includes convenient both for the customers and for the brands to activate their own physical touch points community content curation convenience and connecting everything right so when i think about what's next i think that like very high level if 10 years ago each brand every brand understood that they need to have a website and 5 years ago every brand understood that they need to have e-commerce presence uh, Shopify, Etsy, Amazon, etc. Mm. today every brand is about to understand or is understanding that they have to have a physical touch point. Yeah. And so I think what's really differentiates Showfields is that like we're trying to do everything out of these like five C's that I mentioned inside the space, not only tell the brand story in a very immersive way but be a very strong curator inside our space build our community around it mm-hmm. uh, so you know i mentioned all the barriers to entry to physical retail and i think in addition to all these barriers to entry the consumer has changed so the way to approach consumers and the way to connect with them in the physical world is even much more complex than it used to be so stuff and so
0: how do you pick the brands who are going to be here and how long do they mm-hmm. Do they have a residence? So
2: we get a lot of inbounds today uh, of brands <laughs> okay. like approaching us, yeah. like asking to join, and like we pick the ones who interesting, who are in, interested in uh, the most, and we also identify brands that we want to see here, and we we do the outreach to them. Uh, you know, we scan the internet for these brands according to certain categories. And we try to bring in, like, the brands that will create, like, the strongest engagement with these consumers, uh, with the right and once
0: they've once they've been with you... Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and they need to join for your other part of the question, yeah. they need to join for six months. Six months. yeah.
0: So after six months is over, mm-hmm. they've worked with other brands, they've had the experience here, they've met their customer. Um, how do you keep in touch with them afterwards? There, is there a sort of... You know, alumni of Showfield's group, or so do it's they just something go that on? is
2: in the works still. We're very young; we only opened like a few months ago. But definitely, we have a very strong customer success team that is in touch with these brands. A lot of them ask to extend. If we approve it, by the way, we make them change the experience because part of the promise for the consumer is that, like every time you come here, the experiences around these brands are different or new, and the show areas are different as well. Yeah. Uh, when I say show areas, I refer to 50% of the building because, like, the way we see it, we divide the building to two types of areas, 50% show and 50% fields. The 50% of the show includes all the experiential part, all the art, and all the content that we pour in this space, including the fourth floor, etc. cetera. Uh, the field part are these contained areas where each brand can customize and activate his own space and create yeah. some kind of an immersive experience around his brand. Uh, and it, that shouldn't work? but walking around, it has yep. that
0: combination of discovery. You know, mm-hmm. there's art on yep. odd walls and corners mm-hmm. and the way things blend I as think you move through. It, it's point, really noticeable.
2: Yeah, I think to that point, like something, you know, we try to rethink physical retail entirely. And one of the things that are like very much like the characteristics of a traditional department store is that all of them have a very open layout. Uh, and we intentionally created these partitions along the space in order for you to get lost in the space, and sort of a journey like a maze. Exactly, but, yeah. and we think that one of the most special things that can only happen in the physical world to this sense is serendipity, and yeah. that's what we want you to experience when you discover these brands. Uh, you know, I often see people that are like bringing in other friends uh, because they were here like a couple of months ago, and then they bring a friend. You need yeah. to see that, and they're they're walking inside the space, and they're wow, well, it's not it's all here changed. anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's like But again, if,
0: you, if you're in the area, mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than a store that doesn't change more than three or four times a year. Yeah. So this idea of I'm going to call in because I know it'll be different, mm-hmm. uh, very exciting. Now look, you're on a mission, I can tell. Thanks for taking the time. What's your next big project? Will you leave me today mm-hmm. pile of things? What's exciting you about? <coughs> so uh, the next? most
2: exciting part is that uh, we want to open two more locations next year. Right. Um, I cannot disclose the locations, but like very, very exciting uh, around that. Uh, we want to bring showfields to all the major cities around the world, starting with two new locations next year in 2020. So okay, that's well. what we're looking forward to. Look,
0: I'll to join your mailing list so I know <laughs> where they're going to be. But look, if they sure. anything like this, they're going to find uh, a good home in a number of cities. Thank you so much for talking Thank to you. us. Thank you. My pleasure. Amir has really thought hard about how to create not only an experience, but also a business model. Uh, of particular note, uh, I think, is this House of Showfields idea. It's a hidden area staffed by actors. So when you journey through the rooms to experience the products, they guide you through in character as if they are part of this House of Showfields run by the eponymous Madame Schofield. Again, it sounds odd when you explain it, but once you're there, it really is quite an extraordinary uh, experience. I filmed my own visit there, and I'll post about it uh, later on, um, once I've managed to get all the images together. But for once, this really is a must-do-it-yourself experience. Uh, Check out the website, showfields.com, and book the House of Showfields tour before you visit. Anyway, on to my final stop in New York City and this was to the very posh showroom come office of Eaton Shirts to visit Mariana Satanas. Mariana is from the UK and has held a succession of global digital roles in fashion and she's now joined Eaton Shirts to develop not only their digital and direct-to-consumer activities but also their B2B and wholesale activities. Now unlike a DNVB this is a 100-year-old business that's migrating its operations into the digital domain. And we catch up with Mariana to learn more.
3: Hi, <laughs> my name is Mariana Satanis and I'm the Global Digital Sales Director at Eaton Shirts.
0: So we're in New York in a really lovely office. Thank you very
3: much.
0: It's a showroom, it's experience it's centre. It's <laughs> yeah. Just describe it. I mean, I'll take a photo on the way out, but... Uh, how, how would you describe it? Given that in retail we're normally squashed like battery hens in yeah. a rundown <laughs> area, this isn't like that. No.
3: So our head office is in Gothenburg in Sweden, and it's pretty much you know very similar concept where you have a showroom um, where we bring our wholesale customers to view the product, new um, collections every season, um, and we essentially have desks where we are working, you know, alongside the shirts that are on the shelves.
0: Yeah, well, it looks like a fantastic <laughs> uh, fit out. Tell us a bit about the brand, because I see the brand a lot. I wasn't quite sure where it was from. It just feels international. So just tell us about the brand and where it fits into the market.
3: So the brand is Swedish, and it was started in 1928 by a couple um, in a village called... Gonghesta in Sweden, in Gothenburg, Sweden, yeah. and the head office is still there. We've also got a warehouse there, and some of our production is there as well. Um, so it was a very family orientated um, business. In fact, our CEO, who just um, retired, was the um, is still the. Um, the grandson of the founders. Wow. Yeah. So and you know he used to be he, he he didn't he wasn't doing retail before but then he got into it like thirty years ago and so yeah it's very it feels very startup startupy but it's not um, mm. because you know of that kind of village feel. Yeah. And then um, I would say about ten years ago we expanded into the US. And my boss was hired about seven years ago. He's now the chief sales officer to really expand the distribution Mm. in in the US. And it's gone from, like, a single-digit million dollars to, like, nearly triple. Wow. Yeah, so...
0: Good. Good. Well, it's well it's done. Great. And <laughs> uh, you mean triple digits rather than three billion? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not
3: three billion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we wouldn't be
0: yeah. <laughs> I think you couldn't afford the rent here. Just right. <laughs> like uh, now, the canny listener will note that uh, you're a very strong American accent. Yes. <laughs> um, so just tell us a bit about your background, because you know each other for a while. But uh, for those who are Googling you at the moment, you came here from a, a very strong luxury path. UK and then the US.
3: Yes, so I like to say I started my e-commerce digital education at Netaporte Group. Um, I started there in two thousand and six when it was just Netaporte, and so we just launched in the US. In fact, um, in October, well, yeah, in the summer of two thousand and six, and you know, people who know, some people don't know, there was massive growth. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Very quickly. Yes. And we went from, you know, just um, at Porte.com, I launched the Outnet and then Mr. Porter. Mm-hmm. And I was there for nine years. Um so more
0: than triple digit. So right more there. than
3: <laughs> triple digit, absolutely. <laughs> By the time I left Mr. like the group, I was head of e-commerce for Mr. Porter. And that meant I was, you know, I had UX, UI, the product owners kind of reporting under mm-hmm. me, as well as the site trade. Business as usual, you know, keeping the shop running, making sure that we're converting those customers. Yes, the, uh, the trading the side, trading site, yeah. yeah, as well as working really closely with um, our wonderful tech team, hmm. and of course buying and merchant and and um, the mer- traditional has and created.
0: But then you hopped over the pond.
3: Yeah, I got lured over here. So <laughs> 2015, I was approached and by DKY. Um, at the time, Donna and Karen had just left. LVMH had hired public school boys to, you know, um, start new collections and really have a new era of um, decan yeah. So I went there as VP of e-commerce to re-platform, redesign, and then I got there. And they're like, "Hey, you're also in charge of CRM." <laughs> I fancy putting some like a CRM system in? I was like, "Sure."
0: I wonder if any uh, sentence that starts with "You're in charge of CRM." <laughs> ever has a happy ending. <laughs> oh, gosh.
3: Um, it was, it, do you know what? It was, a, it was, it was, it was fun times
0: yeah. and
3: because it was the first time. I always wanted to, being at a pure play for so long, I wanted to kind of get the experience mm. in working with, you know, historic American brands such as DKNY that who've got stores and who've got, you know, online presence. And for me, I was like, I'm going to learn so much here. Um, and I did um, I a lot about the business, but in the, the other aspect of it was the design and production side, mm. which is a whole different world. Yeah. Um,
0: so let's, let's just jump straight from there to here. So tell us about your role now then, because in, in addition to all the other things you've been picking up along the way, there's a very strong special store and wholesale side yeah. as well as direct and online. So. Really big role. Uh, tell us a bit about that.
3: Yeah, so it's, it, you know, I love a challenge, me. <laughs> so I was like, oh, 16 odd years I've been doing, you know, traditional e commerce, you know, D2C. Oh, here's, here you go. Here's a new new side of things being a whole, on the wholesale side. And when I first read the jobs description, I was like, hmm, so what does this entail? Me just telling other people what to do? Sure, <laughs> I'm great at that. I'm,
2: I love that job description. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but no, serious, it was just, I didn't have to think twice about it, really, because I think the where wholesale, e-commerce, digital, you know, it's all, you know, they talk about, you talk about omnichannel, mm. and then it's, okay, actually, let's talk about how wholesale and retail can work together. Yes. Um, and yeah, I just, it, it is it is a massive role. Um, it's a new role within the company. Um, I think they were looking for someone for about a year, um, but yeah, because it is a specialised role. Like you do, you really need to understand how the e-commerce industrial landscape work. And, as you know, also digital marketing too, mm. which you know that has been my background. So like, okay, how can I now apply that on the wholesale side?
0: But also, that means you have to work with a lot of retailers. I work so with a lot of brands. Yeah, are strong digital players.
3: Right, exactly. So you know, a lot of our major accounts around the world, you know, they want to charge us X amount of thousands of pounds and dollars and euros to do a campaign. And so when I start talking their language in terms of like the KPIs and you know, but this doesn't show this and spend and everything else. They're like, oh, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think they've ever really expected that from you know a, a brand like, like ours. And mm. I think it shows great visionary from our leadership team who recognise that they do need a role like this, you know, to talk to talk the language.
0: So, so, so on the role, then you mm. have your direct trading channel. Yes. Uh, and are you responsible for wholesale, or is that part of
3: another team? Into or online hmm. digitally, so because
0: you've just launched a sort of B two B wholesale digital line of business, haven't you?
3: With digital show-in. yes. yes. So, so tell us a bit about that. So it, you know, we, we need to create efficiencies as well, right? And we need to um, have focus more time on on selling as opposed to helping customers place orders. So we still do. You know, coming in, they'd seen the fashion product, the collection, um, but it's actually place the orders, we've created um, what we call the digital showroom, and they can actually go on there and place their orders. It's if you look at it, it is like a website because you're shopping. Essentially, that's what they're doing. Yeah. They're shopping at a wholesale price.
0: Shopping at wholesale price, but with their account, but with details, their account details and order history, et cetera, order history.
3: Yeah, so they can go on there and go right. I want a blue twill shirt in a cutaway um, collar with a French cuff and give yeah. me 12 units of that. Um, and, you know, I suppose yeah. if Costco had a transactional website, it would be like that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it just launched. And what's the uh,
0: response been to that?
3: This is the first collection that we're doing it. And, you know, it's been mixed in terms of, you know, our majors who are more digitally focused. They're like, this is great, brilliant. You know, they save time as well and money. Um, and then you've got specialty stores that are very traditional, very boutique, um, who are, quite frankly, scared of any bit of technology,
0: um,
3: mm. who probably still have fax machines in their offices.
0: Hey, you've got a lot of fax. you got a lot of
3: fax, right? So they're going to need some training.
0: But you have a field sales staff, though, so they're yes. working with... So they're working with them,
3: absolutely. Machine. So, you know, our sales team are amazing. They will get on the phone and they will, they will train them through it. Um, mm. This isn't like, OK, here's a website, log in. See you later.
0: And so are you seeing that people are buying more, uh, buying more deeply, the ranges? And what was the KPI for this B2B channel? Is it simply reducing the cost of order placing or are you seeing this actually leading to improved sales?
3: So far, because it has been like a literally a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and we're now closing, uh, um, I'll just close in like a week. We are above where we were in terms of last year's collection and selling in. Mm. Um which is a great sign. Yeah. Um considering this is like the first iteration of it. So yeah, you can see that people are are responding. Whether or not that's going to carry on and because there's lots of improvements that we're going to keep on doing to it. Mm. Um you know, I you know, I think it will. I think people will. It's you know, when Facebook first came I was like, well, what's this?
0: Yes. Uh, do you know?
3: It's just something that grows, and you, you're changing the way, you're, you're changing human behaviour.
0: And uh, speaking of behaviour, a global role for a Swedish heritage luxury end brand, but based in New York, uh, just <laughs> other than the obvious air miles <laughs> that are going to come with it. Is there any reason the role is here? And how do you then work with uh, colleagues? you know, across three time zones and you know, different skill centres. Well.
3: Yeah, I can do my job anywhere in the world. It's just, I just happen to be in New York and I love New York, don't really want to go back home just yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I travel a lot, yes, because um, we've got our showrooms and, you know, clients all, all, all around the world. So I'm in London quite a lot um, at our own store um, on South Malston Street. We've got an office there um, and, um, in Düsseldorf as well, um, and in Munich, like I go and and Sweden. So right. I am I am out of the country at least like every six to eight weeks. I'm out of the country. Yeah, but, but I think you know it, it's really important that I do that because my team is global and it is cross functional. Mm. So so
0: tell us a bit about that because you know you mentioned some of your clients are maybe finding the transition to digital uh, a little bit of a challenge, mm. but yet, you know, you're a brand that's nearly a hundred years
3: old. Mm.
0: Uh, it does seem as if there's a, a, an embracing of digital within yeah. the business.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there is. And, our, you know, we implemented a new ERP um, that went live last year. Our warehouse in Gonghester has got, now got robots. No. Uh, yeah, Yeah, like it's super cool. Swedish robots. Yeah, Swedish robots. Yeah, it's super cool. And, you know, as a newbie coming in, I've only been in the for like four or five months, it's like, wow, this is a real, it feels real traditional, but they are embracing like the digital transformation like to a scale that mm. like I've never seen for, you know, a, a brand, a mono brand.
0: And is that because the uh, business leadership collectively is just of that mindset, or do you think that this is now just how uh, brands need to behave? Our yeah, digital... I th- our leadership
3: team, you know, coming from the board and our investors, and you know, the senior management team, you know, they recognise that they the world has changed and it's constantly changing, and yeah, they do need to be more focused on digital and be that digital first. Mm. I say that in inverted commas. Um, or
0: digital second. Or digital second, yeah. <laughs>
3: um, business, you know, in terms of operating as well, not just having a great website and, you know, tools. However, we don't ever want to lose that human touch. Mm. So that's why we still want our customers to come to the showroom and feel and touch the product and pick up the phone and call us when when they need to, um, as well as our end consumers who go into the store. You know mm. that's never gonna that's never gonna end. So it's finding the right balance of having that human touch element and what needs to be digital.
0: And just in terms of the uh, the product, you've had a lot of experience in the luxury end, mm-hmm. uh, but having gone from sort of like Mr. Porter, which had even then a you know vast range of products across all categories you're now in a specialist shirting business Uh, again you know with a real sort of craft behind the product Um, are there any uh, different challenges to being the brand known for one category compared to being whatever you want whatever the brands are we'll sell them to you Yes. (laughs)
3: Yes. <laughs> That's such a rubbish question, isn't it? <laughs> well,
0: it's one out of ten to ask a closed question. No, 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 no.
3: <laughs> no, I yeah. Uh, I, I can say I can you know I can speak to this professionally and from a business point of view. So professionally for me, yes, it's oh my god. not only have I gone to a mono brand, I'm actually now just a single category brand as well. Yeah. So like I'm going from like being I mean being, being very I'm very, very focused, and yeah. um, which has its challenges because you know when we do campaigns yeah. and whatever the
0: question, the yeah. answer is a shirt. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, sometimes, is, a tie. <laughs> sometimes a tight. Sometimes a tight, sometimes a pocket yes. square.
0: And both. And both. both of them, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: So you know, you have a campaign, it's like, oh, there's a guy, you know, we we sell business shirts and formal shirts, and now we're going into like polos and more of the casual shirts. But, the, still the shirt. but it's still a shirt and you're not going to shoot a man just wearing a shirt i mean I wish but we're not going to do that so you know it's very much you're going to create a campaign you want to create like a lifestyle and and yeah. that to like bring you know that's what we want to bring across so sometimes it's like oh man we're focusing too much on that on the suit as opposed to just the shirt or the tie so you know that's challenging but you know it's a great challenge and for me as well it's like i'm literally just selling shirts but they're great quality shirts, that's the thing. Like, you, and you now I can't them. look at a guy the same way. I'm like, what shirt are you wearing? How you know, where's he made from? Like what's the or what buttons have you got? Like what's your I'm
0: glad this is color? a podcast because <laughs> no one can see the contempt of your face <laughs> at my I until now I thought particularly like It is a lovely
3: shirt, it's a lovely blue check yeah. shirt.
0: She's she's fine, that and uh, <laughs> he's not allowed back in again. Um, but you make I'm gonna shirts. get you a ton of Eton shirts.
3: Right, <laughs> not not too slim.
0: Um you, you make shirts yourselves and yes. you have a bespoke offering
3: as well. Yes, we do. so
0: and is that being made available digitally so yes. could I So
3: you can go to eatonshirts.com yes. and customize your own shirt to fit any body type
0: anybody, even buy
3: body type yes and and you can yeah you know, the minute you submit your order, you can get it within two weeks wherever you are in the world. which is pretty rapid. yeah, it's very, very rapid yeah.
0: Good. Okay. Maybe uh, we should be spending some of the uh, internet retail yes. money on that. Uh, look, tell us what's next, then. So you've done quite a lot already, but you know, as you look at your agenda for the coming months, what's uh, what's exciting you?
3: I read somewhere the other day that forty percent of multi-brand websites are going to be offering marketplace um, to their their brands and. You know, I, we've just launched Harvey Nichols um, in September. Um, so
0: extended range into their market.
3: Yes. So we're doing a hybrid model of their own bought wholesale, and we are also uploading our own um, assortment as well, stuff that they haven't mm. bought. So they would buy our fashion um, collection, and we would. Um, we're now looking at wardrobe essentials, which is our must-haves. Again, it's a massive learning curve for me because mm. I'm learning how. To deal with and being, you know, especially responsible for revenue on a website that I can't control the merchandising and visibility. So it's Mm -hmm. about building the relationships with those brands.
0: We had um, Gail Schumann from uh, Harvey Nichols on the podcast, Uh, our listener will remember. Uh, And she was talking about this challenge of, you know, going from a very tight curation store to... The internet that does everything, and mm. then this in between of their marketplace, they're still curated, but it's just a lot bigger.
3: It's just a lot bigger, yeah. yeah. And and that's what I'm quite wary of. And that's why, you know, especially over the next kind of months where, you know, the intention is to launch more marketplaces next year. But we don't want to have, okay, here's an endless aisle of inventory of on the website, but we need to have the right amount. So, and
0: are you looking at that in terms of just additional traffic? Uh, and demand for existing product? Or are you having to invest in anticipation maybe with deeper or different buys and manufacturing because now these extra eyeballs are coming in, you know, the new marketplaces? So is this very much a a demand increase for you or are you having to build more product as well?
3: As, As is literally the first marketplace, we're not doing any extra Right, product.
0: so it's just a, a trial. It's end. just,
3: yeah. I mean, you know, with Harvard Nichols, it's, you know, it's a very well-known mm. brand in, in the mm. UK and Ireland. And we were like, what, you know, what a better partner, you know, to work with to launch this. You know, it's a small business for us online. And it was like, right, how this is a massive opportunity um, to grow. Mm. So for now, we're, we're still sticking to our own, the, the products that we're making. However, if we, you know, we just got to see what happens if we launch two other marketplaces next year. and The demand's massive, then yeah, Great. you know, hopefully we have the means to mm. create more product. It's just really
0: exciting. It's though. really
3: exciting. Yeah, I no, mean, we're yeah. seeing
0: that um, you know across Europe, which is where I have the figures, the direct to brand site visit levels are increasing one or two percent a year. So in terms of share of uh, visits across Europe. We've mm. seen the brand sites are now getting maybe 20%. 46, 47% are going to marketplaces, which means that the retailers still have a chunk, but you know, maybe 33% of all traffic for you know, 11,000 of the retailers we track. So it's being squeezed, and so the brands are really A, getting much more attention, but you know, a bit like you've demonstrated, are now having to play in all areas in the marketplaces, direct, wholesale, and blend all of that. Yeah. It's, it really is a, a sea change. It's
3: a sea, no, it is, yeah, and that's, you know, one of the reasons I took this this role because it's 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 new and it really is a blended model and, you know, you still have to be thinking of, you know, I still need to be thinking of Yeah, You know, I don't really want to be driving traffic away from our own brand because at the end of the day we are one business. And then on the other, you know, on the other the other side of it, it's like, okay, how am I going to drive traffic to Harvey Nichols?
0: So, what's the KPI for the role then? So, you know, at the board meeting in six months' time, where make as they much say, money
3: as possible. <laughs> so, is, is that it across all no, 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 channels? No, 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 it's um, it what well, it's you know to open hopefully new new digital players as well, and to work with our current major accounts in yeah growing revenue. And, you know, acquiring new customers. It, I don't think the KPIs has changed much for, it's still business at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it's not going to change just because I'm on the wholesale side now. Yeah. It's a different kind of challenge. And I think what is new for me, certainly, and is different in this role, is who are we going to launch with next? And what kind of assortment are we going to have? Good. Well I hope you
0: managed to add in the bottoms to go (laughs) to go with the shirts. Yes.
3: agree.
0: Well look, it looks like you're having great fun. So thanks for chatting to us. And um, we'll catch up again to see how the marketplace is going. Indeed. That's on everyone's lips at the moment. Yeah. Great. Hey (laughs) Mariana, thanks so much. Thank you. Our thanks again go to Mariana for her openness and the insight into that business. So that concludes our pre-Christmas trip to New York. We'll have more from that city early next year after NRF, as well as interviews with leaders in our soon-to-be-released 2020 Top 500. This is the new performance ranking, which will be available in February, and there are quite a few changes of note at the elite level. Stay tuned for more information on that. Now, don't forget to let us know of any people you'd like to hear interviewed, suggest new guests... Volunteer yourself, don't be shy, or suggest topics for us to cover. We are all ears. So all that remains is me to say a final thank you to all of our guests throughout 2019. He is wishing you a very Merry Christmas and happy trading. Job done. Right, done. now let me see, how do I do this? Uh, slide to pause. Or just, yeah. Support?